The scripture on this baptism, baptism renewal Sunday, is Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. I'll do the first four verses and then verse 9. It's very appropriate because on Jesus' baptism, these were the words that God spoke back to Jesus were from Isaiah. This is beginning in verse 1. Uh, Here's my servant whom I uphold, uh, my chosen in whom I delight. I will pour my spirit on him and he will bring faithfulness to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He will... um, will not break a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out. Uh, and, but in faithfulness, he will bring justice. And then it goes on uh, to say uh, that in verse 9, See, the former things have passed. Behold, I declare new things before they spring forth into being. I declare them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. It's October 1st, 1932. Maybe you've seen the films. It is game three of the World Series between the New York Yankees and the Chicago Cubs, the fifth inning at Wrigley Field. And the legendary Babe Ruth has come to bat. As he gets to the plate, he makes some sort of gesture toward the outfield fence. And then, as you know, hits the ball out of the park in that very same direction, the spot that he pointed. Now, there is some controversy. Did he really do this and and intend to do it like that? Uh, that? That is known only to Babe Ruth. But from the evidence, pointing that out, hitting it over the fence, it came to be called by people, Babe Ruth calling his shot. Well, I want to tell you this morning that more than 2,500 years before Babe Ruth, in Isaiah 42, God called his own shot. God says, I want to tell you the former things have passed away. I'm declaring new things, and before they spring forth, I'm going to announce them to you. And God calls his shot. And what's his shot? Well, I didn't read you the whole verse, the nine verses today, but it shows up four different times that the home run God intends to hit, the shot that will be heard around the world will be justice, justice. And so it's very important this morning that we come to some sort of understanding of what justice is in Isaiah. Uh, The word in Hebrew is variously translated by many scholars and uh, and in different versions of the Bible. But so I need to tell you that not everyone agrees on what justice means, but they pretty much agree on what it doesn't mean in this passage. It does not seem to mean justice the way you and I often use it. So for example, years and years ago, I was very involved in weekend retreats called the Walk to Emmaus, and I ended up participating in like more than 50 of them. But of the first 14 of these retreats that I did, 13 of them were for women only. And I was the guest speaker. And so as I went to one of them one day, uh, one of my colleagues asked me in that church, um, so is this a women's or a men's retreat? And I said, well, it's a women's retreat. And he said, how do you explain the fact that you always end up being the only man on a women's retreat? And I said, well, I guess that's grace. 
And he, and he kind of shook his head, but I said, look, you know, I'm only staying for the afternoon. I've got to turn around and come back because, you know, I've got a funeral here tomorrow. And then I looked at my colleague and said to him, now, how do you explain that? And he said, well, I guess that's justice. And that's how we often use justice, a sense that, well, you get the punishment you deserve. You, you get what's coming. And while, uh, while scholars don't necessarily uh, completely agree on the fine-tuning of this word. They do agree that it's not retribution. I think the best phrase for it, um, it's variously interpreted, justice, God's true way, the way of God. Uh, But I like what our missions pastor, Ryan Jacobson, called it. He called it God's life-giving order. And I think that's exactly right. Justice is about people getting the punishment they deserve, Uh, When it's retribution, when it's God's life-giving order here in Isaiah 42, it's people getting the opportunity at living life that they deserve. It is not a correction. It is an aid and an opportunity. And I tell you that because the way you interpret justice uh, interprets the way that you meet it out or the way that you carry it out or try to achieve it or execute it. And if your main idea of biblical justice is Bad people need to get theirs and they need to be punished and people who are wrong need to be corrected uh, and set aside. If that's your idea, then the way you'll pursue that, you will pursue it in a manner very differently than what was described in Isaiah 42. When that's it, it's kind of whatever, whatever uh, will work uh, will go. And so there's often a level of harshness. There's awful, uh, often a level of um, of. of uh, uh, not deep uh, consideration for people that goes with this, uh, with this retribution. So, for example, uh, we might say that uh, people in Fort Lee, New Jersey, sort of experience justice from the governor's office, allegedly, uh, for not being uh, supportive. And so, allegedly, as you know, an aide closed certain lanes on the George Washington Bridge to make life for people in Fort Lee very painful because perhaps of uh, opposition to the governor. Now, these are allegations, but that's kind of the way we do justice. We say, you stepped out of line, you crossed me, I'm going to get you back. You're going to get what you deserve. And when that's the case, it's no wonder that the tone in our world, and especially in our country, uh, when it comes to important matters, is a tone of great incivility. We don't really give a rip about a person's reputation. We, We start unloading on them because it's a matter of setting things right. And the people who are doing wrong need to be corrected. And when that's your idea of justice, that's the way you pursue it. Now, by the way, there is a biblical justice that is about some punishment and setting things right. But it's not what's here in Isaiah 42. It is more the sense of life-giving order. See, the thing about when you see justice as as retribution, the one thing you got to say is it's not life-giving. Uh, nobody, when they are corrected and set aside and punished, by and large, it doesn't open doors for them to live the life that God intends for them. And uh, the Jews had an amazing way to talk about this in the Talmud, which is sacred literature to them. It's a story, a legend that takes place just after the time of Jesus. You may remember that Jesus, uh, in his last uh, weeks on earth, uh, prophesied that Jerusalem was going to fall, and fall it did. Uh, the, the, the Romans crushed Jerusalem, uh, scattered and tortured the people, tore down the temple stone by stone, took them 18 months, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, hundreds of people working to do that. 
But the story in the Talmud goes like this. The reason that happened, they said, is this, that the influential rabbis and uh, official leaders threw a big party. And uh, one guy that wasn't supposed to be invited got accidentally invited. You know, I don't know if you saw on TV this week about how teenage parties sort of expand because of social media and Facebook. Well, they didn't have Facebook, but somehow this guy found out about the party and got an unofficial invite. His name was Bar Kamsa, which means son of Kamsa. He showed up. Well, he wasn't the best theologian. Some of his practices were opposed by uh, the more righteous Jews. So when he showed up, the guy hosting the party asked him to leave. And he said, well, I was invited. He said, no, I'm hosting it. I didn't invite you. And he said, look, I will pay you for whatever I eat or drink at this party. And the guy said, no, get out. I mean, this guy borders on being a heretic. And, and they wanted him out. And he said, look, look, he pleads. And now everybody in the party can hear what's going on. He said, I will pay for what anybody eats or drinks at this party. No, he said, you must leave. And not one single one of the religious leaders stood up for him. Even the one who misinvited him didn't stand up for him. And he was cast out of the party and he was disgraced. And he got what he deserved for being a semi-heretic. Well, he went home and he thought about it. And he stewed about it. And apparently his next decision was that he would contact the emperor of Rome and give this information to the emperor that there was a gathering at this influential Jewish leader's home with the leading rabbis and authorities and they were plotting another rebellion against Rome. Well, there have been so many Jewish rebellions against Rome, it didn't take much to sell the emperor on, well, there's another one. Only this time the emperor said, that's enough. We've sent enough people over to the Middle East. We're going we're gonna to squash them now once and for all. And soldiers came in, as you know, between 66 and 70 A.D. and leveled everything practically in Israel, including Jerusalem. And thousands of people lost their life. Now, what the Talmud does with this is very interesting. It doesn't blame this episode on Bar Kamsa, who made up a lie and told the Romans. The Talmud blames the religious leaders who were so interested in their truth and righteousness that they didn't care about this person, his reputation or his feelings. And so they said, when you look at the second temple, it was destroyed, they said, by causeless hatred. We were hating one of our own simply because he didn't do what we did or teach what we taught. And the whole country came to a halt and was destroyed. That's retribution. It's not typically life-giving. And yet there's another form of justice that Isaiah, God speaks about in Isaiah that is life-giving, that does um, enable people to have what they deserve, not in terms of punishment, but opportunity. And when you believe that this is the definition of justice that you're operating under primarily, then you go about it in different ways. The kind of way that Marcia said to the children with love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the way you go about it. Where if there's a bent reed, you don't break it. If there's a wick that's about to go out, you don't snuff it even if it's the wrong person's candle. And that's the way that Jesus came into the world. Not to take away life, but to establish and make away the life of life for others. One of the ways I think about it is when, when it comes to one definition of justice as retribution, it's people who have gotten off the path and you punish them for being off the path. You tell them you're off the path, here's where you're off the path, and you set them aside from the path 
and as a punishment. There's another way that says, here's the path. You try to not only gently lead people to that path, but you try to pick up every stone and obstacle that is on their way in that path. You do what you can to grease their path so that they will have opportunity to live the life that God intended for them. That is what you would call life-giving order, or in Isaiah's sense, that's justice, where everybody has equal opportunity in the eyes of God simply because they are a human being, a child of God, and our first order of business is to try to pave a way for them, not to correct them and cast them aside. One of, the, I think, the best examples of this I, I, I read about recently it was a story that a woman told, and she, did, she waited a number of years till after she came to the United States to tell this story. But when she had children, she told her children and she told her grandchildren. And it was this. She was in Nazi Germany in the, in the 1930s. She was riding a bus one day when the Nazis stopped the bus, and they got on the bus, and the soldier asked for everyone to produce their papers. She was sitting on the back of the bus, and she began to shudder. And tear came to her eye, and the strange stranger, a man sitting next to her, said to her, well, what's the matter? And she said, I'm a Jew. I don't carry papers. I don't have those papers that he's asking for. At which point, the stranger sitting next to her got up and started cursing her, yelled her, uh, called her a cuss name, and was ranting and raving, acting like he was going to hit her, and said, I'm so tired of you. You always do this. You can't remember anything. I don't know why I stay married to you. You always forget your papers. And little soldiers heard the commotion. They came to the back and they, look, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. They kind of calmed down the ranting and raving. Never asked her for the papers. She went on to her destination. The man got off the bus. She got off the bus. She immigrated to the United States, fortunately, a couple years later. She never saw that man again after she got off the bus. But as she told that story to her children and grandchildren, a story of how she came to be alive and then to give life to children and give life to grandchildren, it struck me that that's two ways to look at justice. The Nazis decided that the Jews, conveniently, were the cause of all of their problems. And so they plotted retribution against them. And everything was made to take them off the path, out of the way, and to punish them. And here was one man on a bus who thought that justice in this case looked different and that he was going to do what he could to provide a life and a way for this woman. Now, why do I bother so much with this with this, this morning? I do it for this reason. This is Baptism Sunday. We celebrate Jesus' baptism. And uh, we believe that Jesus uh, received the Holy Spirit, um, came at baptism, and God spoke. And Jesus got what we might call his marching orders, his commissioner's job description. And what he got was a heavy dose of Isaiah 42. Basically, God says, you're my son. I delight in you. I've chosen you. I'm holding you. I'm putting my spirit on you. And, and he knew that Jesus knew the Bible. He knew what went next. He would establish justice in the world. He would bring forth justice to the nations. That's what he would do. And think about how Jesus did this. No very no reeds were broken. No candles snuffed out. Peter, remember Peter? Denies three times, even knows Jesus. And when Jesus rises from the dead, what's the first thing he says to the women who find him? He says, I want you to go and tell Peter to meet me in Galilee. Just like I said. And Peter's brought back onto the path. And then there's a crowd that yelled, crucify him, crucify him, his blood be on us and our children. 
And Jesus hangs on the cross. And what does he say? Father, forgive. They don't know. They don't get it. And then my very favorite that Pastor Scott broke, uh, brought out this week. Remember the story of, in Gospel of John, the woman caught in adultery? Remember that story? This is not a woman accused of adultery, right? This is a woman caught in adultery. And the man, too, who, uh, because of their skewed sense of justice, we never meet him. But what does Jesus do? Jesus, in a gentle and thoughtful way, talks to the people, writes in the sand. Is he writing their names as those who have, in a sense, broken this covenant of life-giving justice? We don't know, but we know one by one, beginning with the oldest and the wisest, they drop their stones and they leave. And what you find in this establishment of justice in John 8 is two things. One, Jesus has given this woman another shot at life. And secondly, he's given these men a shot at life because they will not carry around for the rest of their days the guilt of having thrown their stones, having taken life from another human being. Jesus, in a gentle but clear manner, establishes a path, a way of life. His job description is marching orders at his baptism, straight out of Isaiah, and the concept of justice that God gives to Isaiah. By the way, Isaiah wasn't the first person to receive these instructions, or rather uh, to pass on as a prophet. God told Abraham... You are to, I'm going to bless you so that you will bless others. God told ex, um, Moses after the exodus to, to, uh, to live and rule in such a way that the people could serve God and that they would prosper. God told King David uh, that he was to establish justice for the people and so that they would live. And God told Samuel to get that message to Saul. It's all the way through the scripture that we create a life-giving path not a life-taking path, and that's primarily what justice is about. And I think you know that when children are baptized or adults are baptized or your baptismal vows are renewed, God's given you the same marching orders. I want justice. I want it established, and I want it established in a way that is consistent with the way that I've asked you to do it according to Isaiah. In fact, I would venture to say that all of us are sitting in this room because at least one or more people at some time in our life had an opportunity to cast us aside and give us the punishment we deserved and instead decided to help us gently on the path and gave us a shot at life that we deserved. I was 16 years old and I had everything. I had it all. I had lots of hair, long hair. I had a license to drive. And I had a job, piece of cake job. I drove a, a little truck for the pharmacy. And so, you know, I'd go in part-time and then I'll, um, uh, and on the weekends and they'd give me the prescriptions and off in my truck and listening to the radio and just having a merry time as I drove all around town. Um, could even stop and get a snack or eat whenever I want as long as everything got delivered. And it was awesome until one day I hit a motorcycle with that truck. Motorcyclist was fine. Motorcycle... Actually, not too badly damaged, but as he had kind of had uh, slid the uh, motorcycle under the truck, there was some damage that came to the truck. Well, with the help of the police, uh, we called my boss, and he came to pick me up and took me back to the store, at which point, before he said anything, I just said, look, 
I, thanks for giving me the opportunity to work for, work for you. I'm sorry that it worked out like this, but I want you to know I'm grateful. I also want you to know that I, I know I'll talk to my family and whatever we can do to make this right, that, that's what we'll do. And he said, said to me, look, David, you're not finished. There's still packages that haven't been delivered yet. And he gave me the key to his brand new Pontiac. Nice, souped up. 1972. It got better. And for the next several days, I drove his car, delivering medicine all over town until the truck I had wrecked got fixed and I could drive it again. And I worked there for two more years. But I want to tell you, I had the opportunity, and he had the opportunity, to take me off the path, give me the punishment I deserved. But instead, he gently put me back on the path and opened up a way that was life-giving and put me on a path that I've continued on today. All of us are here because somebody did that for us. And God was trying to say through the prophet Isaiah and through the Messiah, we should do that for others.